Welcome back to the Gobble Em Up podcast, an official podcast of the Fifth Quarter Network, presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Now, here's your host, Carter Hill and Lance Weller. And hello, Hokies, and welcome to episode six of the Gobble Em Up podcast, a part of the Fifth Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Do you need a car or Mazda? Head on over to Duncan in Blacksburg. I drive a Mazda around town. I love it. So if you need a Mazda, Duncan will take care of you over there. Whether you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, we thank you so much for joining us. If you're on Apple, go ahead and subscribe. That's really important so you get notifications about incoming podcasts every Friday, every week, and give us a rating. We would so greatly appreciate that. Paul Duncan is our producer. Lance Weller is my co-host. And I am Carter Hill, a co- another co-host and a contributor to Fifth Quarter. Reminder to follow us on Twitter. Our podcast Twitter is at FQGobbleEmUp. Our Virginia, Fifth Quarter Virginia Tech Twitter is at FQVirginiaTech. Mine is at CBHill underscore three. And Lance's is at LanceWeller3. So we are back in Blacksburg. Lance and I were both in Louisville this past weekend. Lance, how was your weekend? How was your experience in Louisville? Drive back. Just kind of fill me in on that. It was good. Uh, it was fun to go to a game with, you know, a little bit of atmosphere. Uh, my friend Caleb and I sat in the tech section, so it was fun. We had a lot of tech parents around us and stuff. Um, went down, like, kind of on the few, uh, on the first row after the game and dapped up some players and stuff, so that was good. Uh, Louisville's cool. I had never been there before, so it was cool to see, like, uh, Churchill Downs and stuff and some of the other stuff in Louisville. Um, but, yeah, we drove back after his pretty good drive back here but we got back round two and then extra hour of sleep on sunday so it wasn't bad but how was your trip it was good it was fun um i had a little bit different experience we went down on friday night um we were actually at um our hotel was adjacent to virginia tech's hotel so we saw a lot of the guys walking around and then uh, went to the game saturday we went to kind of drive around the city i'd never been to louisville either um Drove around downtown, kind of a cool little downtown. Drove through campus. Campus was, it was meh. Um, went by Churchill Downs. That was really cool to see. Their stadium was really cool. Um, I like their downtown a lot. They kind of, if any of you are out in the Charlotte area, which I'm sure a lot of you are, um, they kind of have an area downtown similar to the the epicenter in downtown Charlotte. I forgot the name of it. Like 4th Street yeah, something. 4th Street Live, bro. 4th Street Live. Paul, yeah. Paul's getting in on the fun. 4th Street Live. Have you been there? Yeah, that place is lit. Oh, is super fun. We went to, yeah, we, so Lance and I and Caleb and my dad went to um, a place called the Sports and Social Club, which I'm telling you, that, that blue cheese quesadilla I got there, oh, oh, so, so good. Um, had a nice little setup in the bar where literally like the definition of one of wanting to be in front of a TV watching games like you are you have like a couch little setup and then there's TVs everywhere it was really cool uh, when we went to the game um, 25% capacity we walked in checked our temperature everyone was wearing masks social distance um, yeah it was cool I, I I think it was really interesting how I don't know where you all parked but we parked the highway runs across the parking lot between the parking lot and the stadium i don't know if you were over there like we parked and uh we couldn't get into the stadium on one side like the train tracks like right. ran across it yeah so we started walk it was like the dumbest layout to a stadium ever literally like we had it took us 30 minutes to like walk around and figure out where we were going but it was the dumbest layout to a stadium ever like half the stadium you couldn't even 
get into because the railroad ran across it and I had barbed wire. I don't know. It was, it was annoying, but yeah. It, it was cool though. I mean, the stadium, yeah, like you said, I mean, we had to cross under the interstate to get into the stadium, which was kind of weird. Um, and then you looked out, actually, it was by your seats. Um, being spaced out was kind of weird, but it was kind of, it was kind of cool in some places. And they had piped in some crowd noise and there was a little bit of an atmosphere. Um, but to like the right of where Lance was sitting, you could see downtown in the distance. You could see Louisville's campus, which like I said, um, it's different than Virginia Tech. Um, it kind of feels like a city school. It's, but it's also like, you don't really feel like you're on a campus, college campus. And then you got like Churchill Downs behind us. And then, uh, Louisville's baseball stadium is right next door. And then the, the football stadium. So it was fun. Uh, Saturday morning, our hotel room actually overlooked the Yum Center, which is where Louisville plays basketball. And then we, uh, we crossed the bridge right, right, uh, adjacent to the Yum Center into Indiana. And you have a really nice view of downtown Louisville from there. So that was really cool. Um, I've been to Indiana a couple of times, but I don't know. Did you have a chance to get into Indiana? We did not. I never I never got over there to mark that off the list. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Louisville, I, the thing that kind of shocked Caleb and I, too, was like Louisville Athletics has so much money. Like, they have their own soccer stadium, own field hockey stadium, own oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's unbelievable how much money and facilities they have they're extremely nice and i was just like surprised because like seems like what six or seven years ago like they're in the big east and like not a football powerhouse or anything and like obviously really good at basketball but like yeah i I was just i guess because you're just they're just like the hometown team too they're in a major market and um they have a lot of local alums but diving into the game itself virginia tech big win 42-35, 42-35, a really exciting game to watch, especially in person. Just what are your overall thoughts on the game this past weekend? I mean, I guess it was kind of what we expected, right? Like a more clean game. Um, Fuentes teams, like we talked about last week, always seem to respond after a loss. It's just frustrating. Like some of like the throwback stuff to like Nick Gallo, like when Hooker kind of starts running to the right and then throws it back across the field or like uh, some of the misdirection, like past stuff we did to Trey Turner. It's just like, did we forget we had that in the playbook last week against Wake Forest? Like, why does it take a loss to, like, kind of get us going? I don't know. But, yeah, it was a fun game. Uh, 21 nothing before you even blink was was good. Um, Louisville obviously made it a game and came back. Their offense is just so explosive that you're not going to keep – especially with a young defense, you're not going to keep them down without making big plays uh, for too long. I thought our corners overall played pretty well. Um Tutu Atwell got loose a couple times, but that's to be expected, like we talked about. Um, Alan Tisdale, defensive line, I thought played really well. Ashby had a probably his, what, his best game of the year, I would say. Seemed like he's starting his feet under him a little more against Hawkins. We, uh, Besides you know that one play before the end of the half, which was just fluky, we played Hawkins really well. They're running back, that is. And yeah, it was just it was good to hold on. Like four onside kicks in the second half was ridiculous. But credit to James Mitchell and stuff for having uh, good hands and uh, holding on to the W. But yeah, I mean uh, it was a good game. It was about what we expected. Like I said, high scoring uh, could, could kind of go either way, just a shootout. But what were your? Do you have the same general thoughts or? Well, I mean, well, I mean, like yeah, I mean. Getting out of the gate, 21 nothing was good. Hendon Hooker had three rushing touchdowns. The fourth and goal, I didn't think we would run away from the game at that point. Just like we would. Sorry, my computer had spaced out there for a minute. But um, no, um, yeah, so 
big one for Virginia Tech. I mean, out of the gates, 21-0, Hendon Hooker with the rushing touchdown, three rushing touchdowns. Um, yeah, Louisville made it a game. They went down the field and scored. Um, Hendon Hooker was 10 for 10 in this one with 183 yards. He was perfect. And the, the, the funny thing about it was I still didn't think he even looked his best. I mean, he... I don't know if you remember when we were up 7 nothing. he had Trey Turner wide open towards the end zone. He hit him, but Turner had to come back to the ball. Yeah, the ball was a little behind him. Yeah. Another thing I saw, uh, which annoyed me from Tech fans and stuff, um, I mean, we were at the game like you talked about, so I don't know if they showed this on TV, but that fake pop pass down the middle to Cleo Herbert and then screen to James Mitchell. Like I was watching the condensed game, and they were like, he had Herbert wide open for a touchdown. Well, he had three offensive linemen down the field, so he could not have thrown that ball past the line of scrimmage to Herbert, or it would have been a penalty. So he had to throw that screen to Mitchell. So, like, that was something I saw on Twitter and, like, on the broadcast and stuff, that they were wrong on that. Like, I'm pretty sure that was the design of the play to be fake because he had, three, like I said, offensive linemen down the field, so he couldn't have thrown the ball down the field. Yeah, and, and, and to Hendon Hooker's credit, I mean, he hit – the throw to Tavion Robinson late on the last drive was a beautiful throw. Double coverage. Um, Khalil Herbert, he's back up to 100 yards or uh, above 100 yards. He totaled. One forty-seven on twenty-one carries had the touchdown towards the end to seal the deal. Uh, so he kind of got loose again. Like you said, Virginia Tech's defense. They gave it 35 points. Louisville's offense is very explosive, and I thought they actually played pretty a pretty clean game. Like you said, Javian Hawkins, they held him to 136 yards, and 90 of those yards were on the last play of the half. So they held him pretty well. Um, Breon Murray kind of struggled in the secondary against Tutu Atwell. Uh, against an explosive receiver like that, yeah, you're going to have some separation. But he got loose a couple of times, and he actually got Louisville back in the game. Virginia Tech... Kind of dragged the game out a little bit. Probably could have put the game away early. Uh, had some field goal drives where, to Brian Johnson's credit, he kept hitting them. And Virginia Tech found themselves up 34-21. to And Louisville went down the field and scored to make it 34-28. They had the onside kick opportunity, which I was listening to Scott Zetterfield after the game, Louisville's head coach. And he was like, we had had... We were second late from recovering an onside kick, but I don't know, this is just a little. But Virginia Tech had stopped. They, they stopped when the whistle had blown before... Yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a delay game. Like, we stopped. Like, our players did not. It wasn't a clear recovery. I mean, we had stopped playing. But, um, yeah, so that happened. Virginia Tech then gets the ball at midfield, which, honestly, I didn't really agree with the onside kick call at the moment. I mean, there's seven minutes left in the game. They had stopped our defense enough where, or they had stopped our offense enough where I think they could have gotten a stop. They go down, or Virginia Tech goes down the field. They have the, they are stopped on second and three, had the third and two, and Louisville gets the, horrible unsportsmanlike conduct penalty where he, where he pushed Brock Hoffman, a little bit of acting job, and uh, Khalil Herbert just took over from there. Two-point conversion was good. Louisville, to their credit, battled back, went down and scored, but their least competitive onside kick of the night was towards the end, and um, Virginia Tech sealed this one 42 to 45. Yeah, Brock's dad was kind of sending a few years down in front of us, and he was laughing a little bit after that one. But uh, one thing we do need to shut down is I saw on Twitter after the game some, like, ACC championship scenarios, blah, 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 and stuff like that. And, look, I'm as optimistic as any Tech fan out there, but we got to shut that one down. Like, <clears throat> it was a good win, no doubt. But Louisville's 2-5. and five. Like, 
Uh, we we gotta we gotta shut down on the ACC championship talk a little bit here. I mean, it would be awesome, but I I I have serious doubts about us being able to win out and make it to the ACC championship, which it looks like we would need to do at this point. So yeah, I, yeah. we need to shut that down a little bit. But yeah, I don't I don't really understand why. I mean, it's good, but like Virginia Tech, you know, gotta control what we can control. Like we we can't be thinking about the ACC championship. I mean, we still got Clemson, Miami, Pittsburgh, UVA on our schedule. And we're going to need, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go through scenarios. But, yeah, Virginia Tech, I mean, you can control what they can control, do what they can do, just win. That's what they need to do. They need to just worry about themselves, not need to worry about the ACC championship game. So, do you have any final thoughts on the Louisville game? Just really exciting game overall to be at and then to watch. Yeah, it was just fun to be there, like you said. And, uh, I mean, it was a win we needed, so I'm not going to complain about it. Definitely a good win. And so, with that, I want to talk about college football in general. We're moving with the Pac-12 returning this week, and actually the MAC is coming back at, at the tonight. Maction. Uh, by the time this, by the time the podcast is out, it would have been out. It, it, the Maction, the Maction, the MAC is returning. Lance is doing his little dance over here. The MAC is returning Wednesday night, um, which is the day we record on Wednesdays. The podcast would have already been out, but so you can check ESPN, the ESPN app for the results. Go Kent State. Yeah, the MAC. I mean. Actually, brilliant move by the MAC to they're, the first three weeks of the season, they're playing on just Tuesday and Wednesday nights, which is brilliant because their whole league can be on national TV. And with no fans, it doesn't matter when you play. So that, but I'm looking forward to kind of having a second wave of college football tonight where I can watch. I think there's six MAC games across ESPN and CBS. So Lance is pretty fired up about that. But anyway, playoff debate. I want to give you this scenario a 7 0 Oregon team. Does, the American plays 12 games, don't they? I think they're playing 12. With- yeah, well, they're playing eight conference and however many non-conference you want. Okay, yeah. so uh, I don't know how many games Cincinnati's playing, but we'll say 7-0 Oregon, undefeated Cincinnati, two lost Georgia, and two lost Notre Dame. Who's getting into that last spot? Um, I think... The committee would probably go Georgia because those two losses would be to Alabama. But Notre Dame's two losses could be the Clemson. Yeah. So, I guess Georgia would have a more impressive win, though, over Florida. And Auburn, I guess, over Notre Dame's most impressive win would be... Who? Um, Auburn's? No. Or you mean Notre Georgia? Dame's most Georgia? Impressive oh, win. Notre Dame. Georgia would have Florida Notre and Auburn. Dame's Notre Dame would have, I guess, Carolina. Probably because that's the they don't play Miami. Yeah, so I would I would go Georgia. Georgia. I mean, Cincinnati's interesting and blah blah blah. The the only team I would absolutely not go is Oregon. Seven games is not enough to. Yeah, me. I don't even think the Pac-12 should be eligible. Seven seven games. I mean, that's not even a season. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Seven and zero is pool play. I mean, that's that's a that's a, that's a tournament at that point. Um, yeah, so I don't think they should be eligible. Cincinnati would be fun to see get in, but I mean, you have to think about it. if Cincinnati's in the Big Twelve, they're probably going six and three. So I mean, seven and two. But you know, Virginia or uh, Cincinnati would be fun to see get in, but I just don't really see it. If if the group of five is going to get in, this is the year. One thing I totally want to put to bed any other group of five teams. Coastal Carolina, fun story, but for all the Coastal fans that are 
campaigning for them to be in the playoff. There's, there's just no way. Their schedule is just way too weak. They shouldn't even be in, in the, if Cincinnati loses two games or if Cincinnati loses a game, I, I, I still think I would put Cincinnati over Coastal. Cincinnati, yeah. uh, whoever wins the American, I would still put over an undefeated Coastal team. But, um, that's kind of a quick playoff debate I wanted to have. Uh, I do want to kind of turn our attention to a quick other, um, quick footnote real quick about uh, Virginia Tech men's and women's soccer. Uh, a quick story real quick for you. Virginia Tech men's soccer played in Louisville Friday night and was actually at our team hotel or at our hotel. So we did see them in the lobby. They they had stayed. They were playing Notre Dame actually on Monday, and they had stayed throughout the weekend in Louisville and practiced there. Um Virginia Tech men's soccer, they defeated Louisville. That was their first game of the year. They all, Their first win of the year, they also defeated Notre Dame on Monday. So Virginia Tech men's soccer and Mike Brizendine over there, they're, they're riding pretty high. Uh, so just wanted to give a quick shout out to them. Virginia Tech women's soccer, they are in the ACC tournament. I believe they're playing UNC and Cary next week. Um, they're the seventh seed in the ACC tournament. They actually beat Boston College 3 to nothing to get in. So a big win for Chugger Adair and Virginia Tech women's soccer. So want to give them some props and uh, check in with the VT soccer programs in this weird little COVID season. But with that, coming up next, we're going to actually remember former Virginia Tech baseball coach Chuck Hartman. He passed away, um, sadly, on Monday. Um, was a great asset to the Blacksburg community and was really well-liked and respected here. So we're going to be joined by a former Virginia Tech pitcher, um, Andrew Wells, he was actually drafted by the Washington Nationals, and he was the starting pitcher for the Hokies against the New York Yankees in the April 16 game. So we'll be joined by him. That's coming up next. You're listening to the Goblin Up Podcast presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. And now back here on the Goblin Up Podcast, we're actually going to be joined by former Virginia Tech baseball player and was actually a drafted out of the high school by the Montreal Expos, interesting enough, in the 33rd round. Um, Andrew Wells, he pitched for Virginia Tech four years under um, legendary head coach Chuck Hartman and then two years under now Kansas State head baseball coach um, Pete Hughes at Virginia Tech. Um, obviously, this is a a tough week for the Virginia Tech community, Virginia Tech baseball community, I'm sure tough for you, but um, legendary head coach Chuck Hartman has passed away um, at age of 85, but um, Andrew's going to come help us pick. So Andrew, thanks for coming on and help or help talk about it. So Andrew, thanks for coming on and help uh, talk about some of your favorite memories. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Carter. I appreciate you uh, having me. And before we get into it, just wanted to say uh, congratulations on these podcasts. I think this is pretty cool what you're able to put together for Hokie Nation and um, speaking for many of the supporters, alumni, we we appreciate it. Oh yeah, awesome. And Andrew's also a proud member of the um, Virginia Tech Foundation, the local Blacksburg community. So I, I know he's very happy to still be in Blacksburg and representing Hokie Nation pretty well. He actually uh, was the starter for the April 16 game when Virginia Tech played the New York Yankees here at, in Blacksburg. And I know we'll save that conversation for a later date, but um, that's also a very interesting footnote. I'm sure that's something that you'll never forget to face guys like Jeter and Cano and Johnny Damon and all them. So, um, but before, you know, we'll save that for a later date, but I want to dive right into it. Kind of first question, but what was your first memory of Chuck Hartman, whether recruiting just or just at Virginia Tech, what was your first memory of coach? 
Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Um, actually, the one that I, I wanted to specifically touch on, so a great start, uh, definitely the recruiting process. Um, there's so many memories from Coach on the field and who he was to us as a coach and a mentor. But for me as a high school player um, and the opportunity to have Coach Hartman and, and Coach Phillips in your living room with your parents um, was was pretty special. So that's one that I've been reflecting on this week since learning of the news on on Monday, of course. And, uh, you know, again, just as a high school student athlete to, to have uh, the likes of, of Coach Hartman in your living room, pitching Virginia Tech and and, and what uh, this community and this area had to offer, uh, that that was was pretty special. And uh, as as it turns out, uh, that that home visit in Alexandria, Virginia, um, led to my first official visit being here at Virginia Tech, uh, and and to speak volumes of Virginia Tech and the campus, and and again the community. It was the only official visit I ended up taking, <laughs> so so pretty special for sure, and, and definitely that that first memory that will will live with me forever. No, yeah, for sure. I'm sure you have a lot of good memories, and that's kind of leading me into my next question. Do you have any stories to share just being around him in the locker room, the weight room? Is there any stories of you or of um, him being like thrown out of a game or arguing that's funny to talk about? What are just some favorite stories that you have of him at your time at Virginia Tech? Yeah, yeah. So you you touched on a lot of them. Again, a lot of great memories. Uh, road trips uh, back back in that time, we we did very little flying. So so really bus trips, um, which obviously made for some long rides uh, to the likes of, of Florida uh and, and up north for for games as well uh but coach was just always um just kind of another one of us i think is probably a good way to to summarize him and his his kind of actions and behavior in the in the weight room locker room on the field like i said on the road uh he he was just a, he was a player's coach uh and i know all of us who who love sports are, are familiar with that term but but i think for coach he he was just so uh, interested in in you as a person. Obviously, we wanted to be successful on the field and put our best uh, best foot forward. But you know how are your academics going? Where do you need help? You got a tutor? How was the test? Um, family family minded, family oriented. Always uh, wanting to know how mom and dad are doing. Are they coming in for the weekend series and. You know, for that, it it just was a more all encompassing experience with coach. You know, again, a coach, a friend, a mentor. Uh, a, a family person, you know, knew knew all the families, all the parents, all the siblings coming to support us, and uh, that's just what made him truly special. Yeah, and with that, I I think this is maybe a tough question, but what was is there a specific memory that stands out to you? What was your favorite memory being around him, um, whether you when you were at Tech, before you were at Tech, or just after post Virginia Tech? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I thought about, a lot about that as well. And, and obviously, again, the memories are endless, the four years on the field, in the locker room, uh, et cetera, with Coach. But what I appreciated and what I'm proud of, as we talked about a little before we, we got started here, is the opportunity to return to Blacksburg and raise a family and uh, actually be your neighbor. <laughs> uh, but but be, a part of, uh, be a part of the community and, and Virginia Tech and, and really stay connected with the baseball program as closely as I can. And, and for that and my relationship with Coach, of course, he stuck around the area, um, just passed away here locally, um, seeing him down at the country club or seeing him at pretty much all the basketball games um, just speaks volumes about his uh, passion for Virginia Tech, for the Hokies, 
um, and always tried to find a way to kind of go out of my way to see him, say hello. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was still a, hey, lefty, what's what's going on? How's the family? You know, good to see you. And so uh, for me, and I guess maybe because they're most recent, uh, but but my memories of Coach will be those times, again, just here in the community and passing in the past couple of years and the opportunity to stay connected with them well beyond, uh, you know, my my college career back in the early 2000s. And, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit before, but you were at Virginia Tech for, for six years, which is, um, you know, a long time, obviously, to be in college. But you, you were kind of right there in the transition of Virginia Tech baseball. Um, I wasn't old enough to remember, so I, I really don't know. But um, what was the transition like from your, <clears throat> your fourth year with Chuck Hartman into your last two years with Pete Hughes, who um, was the Hokies head baseball coach from 2007 to 2013 for anyone who doesn't know. Um, but what was your transition like between the two head coaches? Um, what was like the retirement process like for coach Hartman? And then what was it like when coach Hughes came in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously under coach, uh, old timer, right. Been around it a long time. Legend had a, a heck of a career, even, even, uh, prior to Virginia tech. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have him here to, to finish his career. And again, super proud, uh, to be a part of that team early 2000s and here in 06 when he stepped away. Um, you know, Coach carried that, that competitive edge and, and obviously had been around the game a long time. And I think it's something he had been pondering for most of my career here. Um, and, you know, when was the right time to step away? And I don't think there is a right time for someone as successful as Coach Hartman. Uh, but obviously he chose to do so in 06. And before I really get into that transition uh, of, of Coach Hartman to, to, to Pete, to Coach Hughes, um, it, it was very much a transition as a program. And, and with Coach at the helm prior, prior to the coaching change for me, you know, I came in in the Big East um, as a freshman. Uh, and I should know which year we, we transitioned to the ACC, but it was there in the middle of my career, whether sophomore or junior. That's a huge step. And uh, that that's not any knock to to the Big East. That was obviously a big step up from high school um, play. But but Big East to ACC, you know, ACC is still arguably the best in the country. Um, and we had our work cut out for us. And that includes the players, but also coach and his staff and us just trying to come together again, put our put our best product forward and be as successful as we can against some of, you know, first round picks, plenty of top 10 ranked teams. Uh, and that was extremely challenging. And then again, to fast forward to the to the Hartman retirement, uh, again, just fortunate to be a part of that. Still have plenty of my friends and teammates. Um, actually have a baseball reunion uh, with a handful of guys that I played with scheduled for this weekend. And uh, I know we're going to have a, a great time reminiscing on Coach and, and some of these memories that we're talking about today. But we just we like to reflect on his kind of going away and hopefully sending him out the, the best way we knew how. Uh, and as we got into Pete, uh, it was just a very different culture, uh, very different mindset. Pete, of course, came down from Boston College. Um, he, he had a, a winning track record of his own. And I know um, a lot like the Fuente transition from, from Coach Beamer, you know, Pete stepped into, uh, you know, replacement of a legend and trying to make Coach proud, tried to make the program and the, and the AD Weaver at the time, of course, um, just, just make everyone proud and be a good fit into a new community and a new program. And, and obviously Pete did wonderful things, uh, went on to, to Oklahoma and, and now out at Kansas state. Um, so it, it was very different philosophies, very different 
approach from Hartman to Pete, but uh, I wouldn't wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Yeah, and you already touched on some of this, but the last thing I have for you is, I know you said you saw him at basketball games and everything, but what are your interactions post Virginia Tech? I know, like, what were your interactions, whether basketball games with your family, with your wife, with your children? Kind of what was that like post yeah. Virginia Tech? Yeah, for sure. Uh, he coach was just always so good to my family. Um, you know, of course, my wife Katie. You know, he he didn't know Katie um, prior to to post baseball and and meeting in the community here in the past couple of years, but just never skipped a beat from those days of kind of being our father figure, our coach, our mentor, our leader. Um, you know, uh, he embraced her. He he always had so much fun with my my two daughters who were substantially younger when when we we first were able to introduce them to coach, but seven and five now, past couple of years and. Being able to see them again around town at the games, it just brought joy to him. Um, and, and you know, I've read some articles. Again, I've talked to some teammates, some some fellow play, uh, players, alums, etc. And kind of the joke is, you know, Coach knew just about everyone. But but if he didn't actually knew you, he still pretended to know you. And uh, he just he loved everybody. He loved life. Um, was passionate about sports of course but again i i think his appreciation for making us well-rounded individuals and preparing us for the real world that really was a important part of coaches uh everyday uh you know message if you will back back in the time that that we were student athletes and then to fast forward and to your point of kind of post-career he embraced that he, he loved seeing my wife. He loved uh, teasing the girls. Um, he and I always enjoyed a chance to catch up, whether it was halftime of a basketball game or, you know, somewhere in town, stumble upon him at the grocery store, et cetera. So uh, just a, a friendship that obviously began, uh, you know, again, going back to your first question and, and a, a high school athlete, you know, someone of the likes of Coach Hartman coming to your house and, and recruiting and, and uh, you know, trying to get, get that player, in this case myself, to make that next step to come to Virginia Tech all the way through to, to what we had with him here most recent. He, he went from that kind of mentor leader role to just a tremendous friend. And, uh, yeah, I hate to see him go. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's a tough week for Virginia Tech baseball and just the Blacksburg and Virginia Tech community that, you know, well, I, I personally didn't have a, a great personal relationship with him. I had only talked to him. Um, once or twice but you know my memories too like he was always a great person to talk to and always had that smile on his face with that that mustache so um yeah. that's something i'll remember for sure but um yeah thanks so much for coming on and kind of reflecting on your time with coach hartman i know um a lot of people will enjoy listening to that so thank you so much for coming on and helping talk about coach yeah for sure and uh if you if you don't mind another 30 seconds in closing you you asked him one of the questions and i didn't reflect on it but i i it would not be uh an interview uh representing and, and remembering coach if if we didn't talk about his uh on-field antics and and his uh attack of of the umpires uh coach was a a feisty one and and i think um just again in summary just to kind of reflect in a, in a happy manner and, and just stories for, for days in terms of how he approached the game and ultimately just a, a super competitive nature um, sometimes led him to uh, uh, the darker side of getting on the umpires. I, again, I know there's been some articles I've been reading up. I've been reminiscing and, and remembering coach this week and, 
it's really been been fun to read those. But I, I think a lot of us who knew co- Coach well, and, and as a coach particularly, um, can reflect on that. And there's umpires uh, across the country right now who who are certainly remembering Coach Hartman and some of those uh, exchanges on the diamond. So I, I did want to touch on that. And again, Coach will be truly missed. Uh, Hokey legend, incredible figure in this community for so long. And um, I just appreciate you guys, Carter, you and Lance, giving me the opportunity to, to speak about Coach for a few minutes today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of uh, Hokies out there will enjoy listening to this, like I said. And, I've you know, the reaction on Twitter has been fantastic to see. And not even just Twitter, but Virginia Tech community as a whole has been fantastic to see just people reflecting on him and across um, the, the college athletic and college baseball scope across the country. It's been um, – you never know how much someone – touches so many people until um they're gone and you see the 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 reflection to that so um but yeah we're we're really glad that we were able to have you on and and talk about coach hartman and um yeah we definitely appreciate you coming on and taking some time out of your work day absolutely thank you guys as well and uh look forward to connecting with you guys again in the future thanks so much Back here on the Gobble Up Podcast, we're joined by Liberty Athletics beat writer for the News in Advance in Lynchburg, Damian Sordolet. Damian, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. A uh, big game this week. Oh yeah, big one. Big one in the state of Virginia for sure. A lot of bragging rights. So we'll jump right into it. Virginia Tech Liberty this weekend, noon on the ACC Network at Lane Stadium. The first question I do want to ask you, this is a big question kind of to start off, but can Liberty actually beat Virginia Tech? They can. Will they? That's that's the more important question. Um, this is going to be the first offensive line Liberty is going to face that in watching film and kind of looking at you know how Liberty matches up, where you know the Flames are going to have to win that battle, and it's going to be a tough one. Uh, they're not; they haven't faced a nasty, physical, um, dominating line that you know, reestablishes the line of scrimmages, uh, pushes blockers back and gets those tailbacks so much clean running room before there's contact. And Liberty hasn't faced that this year. And uh, their defensive line, they're a little bit smaller. They have more length. They have more speed. uh, But it'll just be a key to see if that defensive line can hold up to the power of Virginia Tech's offensive line. And if there's a way for Liberty to win those battles, that will give them the best chance to win this game. Gotcha. Uh, so obviously a big year so far for Liberty. Uh, what's kind of the reaction around the programs like so far this week for the game this weekend? It's obviously a big game for them and I guess kind of their Super Bowl this year, you could say. But just what's kind of the reaction around the program so far this week? I wouldn't say it's the Super Bowl just yet. If they get to a bowl game, that'll be it. But this is like, I would say, if you're looking at pro sports or even within a major college conference, this is like your rivalry game. This is the game you've circled on the calendar and you want to go out and make a statement. Uh, There's uh, palpable excitement around campus uh, with this football team. Second year of full FBS, third year um, in the FBS, and to be top 25, um, 6-0 for the first time since the 2008 season under Danny Rocco, um, you know, they're excited. And 
The fact that, you know, Liberty and Virginia Tech have only met one other time before on the gridiron, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement because, you know, there are a lot of Virginia Tech fans that are at Liberty uh, because they grew up watching Virginia Tech football because it was more mainstream than Liberty was being, you know, FCS at the time, Division One AA. Um, so there are people with Virginia Tech roots that are on campus, and they're probably eager to see how this game unfolds and if Liberty can live up to the billing that it has at this point of the year, which is a top 25 team um, that's played a schedule that hasn't exactly been gargantuan in, in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and with that, that kind of leads in my next one. Obviously, I mean, Malik Willis, their, their quarterback, was a Virginia Tech commit before he ended up at Auburn and ended up, ended up at Liberty. He may be on your list, but overall, what are some players to watch for Liberty this weekend? Willis is number one uh, for my players to watch because, uh, you know, not only does he lead the nation in scramble yardage for quarterback, um, he's also developed into a really good passer, and that uh, is a testament to the work quarterbacks coach Kent Austin has put in uh, to him over the offseason and throughout the year of getting him to be much more of a dual threat um, uh, quarterback compared to, you know, one coming out of Auburn where you thought, you know, he could only run. Uh, we've seen his development um, with his right arm really take flight. Um, two guys who probably haven't shown up this year for fans outside the program that will be need to keep an eye on our outside receivers, CJ Yarbrough and Noah Frith. Um, they're two of the more dynamic playmakers on the outside. Yarbrough 6'3", Frith 6'4". They're about 210 pounds. They've got good speed. They've got good physicality and good hands. But Frith's only played in one game this year. Yarbrough's played in parts of four, and they haven't been on the field at the same time. So if you add them to the outside with a guy like DJ Stubbs, who leads the team in receiving, receiving yards, and touchdowns, you put him in the slot, and then you can work in a Kevin Shaw, a C.J. Daniels, those guys into their more natural positions. And I'd be remiss to mention Demario Douglas there at the slot as well. Now this offense becomes much more dynamic. So I think getting those two back uh, will help this Liberty offense, and you know maybe open up more pass for the running game. Um, keep an eye out for Josh Mack, who's been dealing with a right elbow infection. He's supposed to be back. He had 100 yards in the first three games of the year. Uh, Shadra Lewis had 170 yards against Syracuse, and he's uh, the change of pace back. Um, and you know, if the running game gets going, they've 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 racked up more than 330 rushing yards in their two road games this year. So if they can run the ball, which has been Virginia Tech's forte and has also been Liberty's forte, that will help them out as well. All right. Who has the coaching edge this weekend, Hugh Freeze or Justin Fuente? Ooh, um, if we go back to when those two coached against each other, when Fuente was at Memphis and Freeze was at Ole Miss, it's a wash because Freeze won when they played in Oxford. Fuente won when they played in Memphis. I would say <sighs> – Freeze is probably going to call a game that he feels like will be the best to win. He'll probably be the more aggressive one. Fuente uh, with Virginia Tech having 
so much deeper of a talent edge uh, because of ACC recruiting and because, you know, Liberty's still an infant in FBS and Virginia Tech's established. Um, he can call a game that's a little bit more conservative knowing they can wear down Liberty. Um, I think it goes to Fuente because I think with, with you see Justin Hamilton being back as the defensive coordinator and you get these guys back calling the games and you get your full complement of players, that will help with coaching. I think Freeze will do everything he can to win, but I think Fuente – has probably the edge because he has the types of players where he can make, you know, well-educated um, decisions uh, to help the team win. And with that, now I want to get the, the ultimate question in for you. Um, it's kind of a two-parter, but right now the line, when I last checked this morning, is it 14 and a half in favor of Virginia Tech? Do they, what's your thoughts on that? And what's your overall pick for the game this weekend? Well, that's gone down a point. Um, it has, okay. I think it opened at 15 and a half. And I think Vegas is probably realizing that was probably too big of a spread. Um, I think it's going to be a one score game. I think it's going to be very close because uh, both teams are so similar. Uh, Virginia Tech's fourth in the nation in rushing. Liberty sixth in the nation in rushing. Uh, they both have two explosive dual threat quarterbacks in Hooker and Willis. You have Herbert and Mack as two really good number one tailbacks. That would be remiss to say Blackshear and then Peyton Pickett for Liberty are both two really good second tier running backs. So you're going to see very similar approaches to this game, which is why I think it will be closer than what Vegas has. Uh, but I think home field advantage and the fact that Virginia Tech has played so well this year, even in the loss to North Carolina, if you ride Herbert early, get him going, have a chance to win that one, probably more so than they did with the comeback. And if you eliminate the turnovers there against Wake Forest, when you're driving into score and you've dominated on the ground, you'll probably win that game. And we're probably talking about two undefeated teams right now playing. Um, so I think Virginia Tech has the edge in this one, but I think it'll be a one-score game. I think it'll be something like 31 to 24. Um, I think the def there will be some defensive stops made. Um, and I think um, that the way that unfolds will probably, I mean, Probably be a little bit more scoring, but I think you know thirty-one twenty-four Virginia Tech is a pretty safe, uh, safe bet from my point of view. Well, that's all we got for you. That's Damian Sordelik from the News in Advance covering Liberty Athletics in Lynchburg. Damian, thanks so much for hopping on with us and talking Virginia Tech Liberty football. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Liberty beat writer Damian Sordelik for coming on to help preview Virginia Tech Liberty this upcoming weekend. I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but the Hokies play Liberty this upcoming weekend, this Saturday, so tomorrow um, at noon on the ACC Network at Lane Stadium. Capacity is still limited to only 1,000, unfortunately. So not really any fans after a week removed from a pretty good atmosphere in Louisville, but uh, Virginia Tech Liberty this uh, Saturday afternoon at noon on the ACC Network. And now it's time for our hidden gem uh, presented by Beads by Georgia. You can find her on Instagram. She's got some really cool beads at Beads by Georgia. Um, 
DM her on Instagram if you need, or need uh, some jewelry, necklaces, earrings, anything like that. Make sure to hit her up. So I'll give you a projected or an updated standings for our hidden gem. Last week, I kind of took the cake. I uh, I took the lead last week for my hidden gem. I actually, let me pull it up right here. I had UAB and Louisiana Tech. I had the Bulldogs covering that 11-point spread. Um, and they actually won outright. They won in double OT, taking down the Blazers. Former Virginia Tech Hokie Khalil Ladler actually had a scoop and score. I uh, saw that on SportsCenter. So um, good that he's getting a good opportunity down there in Reston. So, Lance, I'll let you uh, give your hidden gem of the week. So I'll turn it over to you. Uh, I'm going to go Washington State plus one and a half against Oregon State and Pac-12 after dark on Saturday. I'm going to go Washington State to cover and at that point win outright. So uh, I think the uh, Cougars will get it done against Oregon State. I, I don't know much about either team. I know Washington State has that new coach from Hawaii. Or what's his name? Or Nick Ravalich or something Ravalich, like that. Something, something like that. that. But uh, the Air Raids coming back to Washington State, so that'll be good. So I'm going to go with uh, Wazoo. I'm going to go kind of a common team. I think Lance has used them a couple of times. But Tulane travels to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. To play the East Carolina Pirates, two lanes right now in minus five. Um, the Green Wave have not had a fantastic year, neither of the Pirates, but they were, I don't know if you were watching Friday night, but East Carolina was robbed of a win at Tulsa, which would have been a huge win for um, the Pirates up there. And um, yeah, just just a tough call. They had a, what, what, what was it, it was I believe? Two bad calls on the final drive. One was a Tulsa was driving and they fumbled and then they overturned it and said it wasn't a fumble and then they caught a completion that clearly the ball skipped on the turf before he caught it. So right, and then the American Conference ended up admitting yeah. that they messed it up, but that would have been a big win for second year head coach Mike Houston. He came over for actually maybe third year head coach. I might have to check on that, but he came over from James Madison a couple of years ago and he's been looking to get that signature win and that would have been big but so yeah i'm actually going to pick them to win outright at home against the Tulane green wave ecu has yet to kind of have that signature moment like i said and this wouldn't be that signature moment but i think they're going to cover that spread and they're going to win outright at home in greenville and uh get their season back on track after a pretty tough one last weekend in tulsa so with that now we're going to move into let's see what we got here all right, let's go ahead and give you our standings. Like I said, I'm now up on the Hidden Gem 4-3. to three. Let's update you on our picks of the week because next we're going to do that. Right now, last week we, we, only, we only had 11 games because Wisconsin-Nebraska ended up getting canceled due to COVID. Um, Clark Rowland came on with us last week. Lance actually had his first weekend in first place. He had a pretty good weekend, 7-4, and four, um, and both Clark and I tied at 6-5. and five. So that brings the overall standings now to I'm up – I have I have a record of forty and nineteen. Meanwhile, our guest picker has a record of thirty eight and twenty one, and Lance is still down five in the loss column of first place at thirty five and twenty four. But he's got some time to get it back up. He's got some time. Yeah, we're we're coming back. He's coming back. He had his first weekend in first place. Needs another big week this week. But anyway, we're going to be joined by Dulles District. He's a big name on Twitter. Dulles District's Dave Scarangella. He's going to come on and pick some games for us as our guest picker. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to the Goblin Up Podcast presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg.
And now it's time for our picks of the week, and we're pleased to be joined by Dave Scarangella. He actually is with the DullestDistrict.com, and he's written for the Roanoke Times coming out of college at Virginia Tech. He's a 40-year alum- alumnus. So, Dave, thanks for coming on and help pick some games. Thank you for asking. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're glad to have you on. So we got 12 games, just like usual. We're going to start out with the group of five. Second weekend, second week in a row, we're going to have Boise. But huge one in the group of five, we have... BYU and Boise State, a top 25 matchup. Boise trying to sneak their way in for that group of five nominee for the New Year's Six. And then BYU is obviously having a great season. So, Lance, I'll let you go ahead and pick this one. Uh, I'm going to go BYU. I'm definitely part of the Zach Wilson fan club. So, I'm going to go with Cougs. Dave, you can go ahead and go. Well, I'm going to say whoever wins won't play any defense because I was looking at both teams and uh, BYU scoring 40 and 50 a game, and so is uh, Boise State. So um, I- I'm afraid I have to go with BYU too, although Boise could upstate them because they've got seven games of film to look at, and BYU doesn't really know what they're going to be facing. Yeah, I think that's really good analysis there, actually. I think on the blue turf, Boise's going to be ready to play. Zach Wilson, like you said, he's bought out this year. I'm tempted to go BYU, but you know what? I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to say Boise State at home is going to get it done, and they're going to knock off the BYU Cougars. So into the Big Ten, kind of a week, a week, week in the Big Ten. But what we're going to have here for the lone game is Michigan and Indiana. Dave, I'll let you go ahead and pick this one first. This is where if you look at comparative scores, it should be easy because Michigan State got beat by Rutgers. Uh, Michigan State beat Michigan, and Indiana beat Rutgers. So they should be a, a huge favorite, Indiana. But uh, Harbaugh is is the kind of coach that always loses the games he shouldn't, and then he bounces back and wins the ones they don't expect. So I'm going to go with Michigan in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go Michigan too. Indiana had – Seems to be what uh, what seems to be kind of a fluky win against Penn State. I'm going to go uh, Joe Milton and uh, uh, Michigan to bounce back this week and beat Indiana. I just don't think they're that good. Yeah, I'm going to third that with you. I think you hit the nail on the head with Jim Harbaugh, so I'm going to go Michigan. I think Indiana's looked good so far this season. I don't know how good Penn State actually is. Obviously, they played Rutgers, but so I'm going to go with Michigan. Now into the Big 12, this is a sneaky good one. West Virginia and Texas. Um, Lance, or yeah, Lance, I'll go ahead and let you pick this one first. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas. I think they're going to win out and uh, maybe even make a run to the Big 12 championship. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, West Virginia had a very impressive win against Kansas State last week, but I just, I think Ellinger and uh, Tom Herman are getting it right down there in Texas, even though their recruiting is a mess right now. So I'm going to go with Texas. Dave, you can go ahead and pick. The, the question for me is which Texas shows up. I mean, they scored 59 and 63 in their first two games and won. Then they lost consecutive games to TCU and Oklahoma. And then they came back and they've beaten Baylor and Oklahoma State last week. So I don't know which team is going to show up. And I think that says something about Herman's consistency as a coach down there. But uh, West Virginia is coming off of a big win, but I just think Texas has too much talent. So I will agree with you and we'll go with the Longhorns. Yeah, this is a tough one for me, too. I'm going to lean towards Texas, though, too. Uh, Neil Brown, I think he's doing an okay job with West Virginia. It's kind of early, though. We haven't really seen what they can do coming off a big win. They were 4-8 and eight last season, so they didn't really have any big wins. But So I'm going to go Texas and Tom Herman. I think they're going to keep it rolling. I don't know if I'm going to get to the level where they're going to make a Big Ten or a Big 12 championship appearance. 
but I do think they are going to continue their, their momentum after their big win over Oklahoma State and beat the West Virginia Mountaineers. Another one in the Big 12, two teams coming off of brutal losses, Oklahoma State and Kansas State. This was supposed to be a big one, and it still is, but after last week, it's kind of fallen down the down the parachute a little bit. So, uh, Dave, I'll let you go ahead and pick this one. Well, both teams had won four games in a row before both getting upset last week. So the question becomes, which team is angrier uh, in bouncing back? Um Oklahoma State's got a lot of firepower, so I am guessing Oklahoma State's going to win this one big time. Yeah, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State, too. They still have a lot to play for. Still have Oklahoma at the end of the season. Still have a chance at the Big 12 championship, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm going to go Oklahoma State, too. They, I mean, if they went out and win the Big 12, they still should be in the playoff, and I think uh, Chuba Hubbard and Mike Gundy and the guys would be ready to play, and I just see them knocking off uh, uh, still an, an early and up-and-coming Kansas State team. Okay, the Pac-12 is back. They're finally back the first weekend of Pac-12 football. Two really good games coming up for you. This is a, a sneaky one down in the Pac-12 South, but Arizona State and USC, that that very well could be the the Pac-12 championship semifinal game. So, um, Lance, I'll let you pick this one first, too. See, this is so weird. This feels like U8 rec soccer, you know, like the 9 a.m. local game. I, it's, I don't know. It feels really weird to me, so... That being said, I guess the team that comes out with more energy is the team I would pick to win. And Arizona State has Herm Edwards, uh, who seems to be full of energy all the time. So I guess I'm going to go with Arizona State. But this is a weird, really weird game to me. It's pretty interested to see uh, kind of like how it goes. Like I, It kind of stinks that the Tech game's at the same time as this. But I, I do want to watch some of this game and see how it goes because the 9 a.m. local kick is really weird. Both of these games are impossible to pick because there's they haven't played. There's no film. You're you're you, they've been sitting on the sideline for like six or eight weeks um, practicing against themselves. So I can't imagine they're going to be all that sharp. Uh, the only thing I'll just say is is USC seems to attract lots and lots of talent. They tend not to coach it very properly. And I I hear what you're saying about Herm. You know, you play to win the game, but I think USC is going to win the game. I'm going to go Herm Edwards and Arizona State, too. Here's why. I, first of all, thanks for reminding me. I forgot that game was an, a noon kick on, on the East Coast, but 9 a.m. kick, you're going to see like like the hazy West Coast type. I, I believe the game's at USC. Um, yes. It's, so it's in L.A., and if you've ever been to L.A., especially early in the morning, it's kind of like a Blacksburg type of hazy morning feel. You kind of It's foggy, but not really foggy. You just kind of you're looking all around, and everything's kind of a uh, – it's almost like if you ever, if you need glasses or contacts and you take them out for the night and you're looking around, everything's just kind of blurry. So it's that, that should be interesting to watch on TV actually. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go Arizona state too. I think Herb Edwards is going to have the guys ready to play. I actually was lucky enough to be at the, the PAC 12 preseason media day press conference a couple weeks ago. And I think, uh, Herm Edwards seems he's he's pretty confident that there's they're going to have a pretty good year down there in Tempe. So I'm going to go Arizona State. Last one in the Pac-12. This one's the 7:30 ABC primetime game. Stanford and Oregon. Dave, I'll let you pick this one. Well, same thing with again not having any film or any background or any anything to compare it to, but just Oregon tends to just have lots and lots of quality athletes, and I I, I see they're they're probably overrated you know right now. Uh, based on just their reputation. But uh, I think Oregon is probably going to get things done quicker than Stanford as they ease into the season. So I'll go with the Ducks. 
I'll go with the Ducks, too. I have no idea why, but it's at Oregon, so I'll go with Oregon. I'm going to go Oregon, too. I Like I said, I don't. I said earlier in the podcast, I don't think they're – they should be in the playoff at 7-0. Seven, seven-game season is really nothing. Um, but I do think they are a very solid football team, and I think they'll beat the Stanford Cardinal at home. All right, into the SEC, a big one. The Gator uh, in Jacksonville, um, Florida and Georgia – should be a very interesting matchup. Actually, really fun one. I'm looking forward to watching this one. Um, Lance, I'll pick you. Let you pick. Let you pick this one. Florida's going to win by at least two touchdowns. Uh, Georgia's. I just have not been that impressed with them this year. Stetson Bennett and stuff. And I, I don't know. I think Florida's got the explosive offense. I, I think they're going to beat Georgia pretty bad. I just don't see Georgia being able to score with them. So I'm going to go with Florida. I'm going to disagree fairly violently on this one. Um, just because I'm looking at the stats in Florida, they score a lot of points, but they give up a lot of points. And I was looking at Georgia last night, and Georgia's 5-1. and one. They're one losses to Alabama. But in the games they're winning, they're giving up 10 points and 6 points and 21 points and 3 points. And I just think a good defense stops a good offense. Um, and I'm not all that impressed with Florida's coach either. So I don't know about the two touchdowns, but I do think Georgia will win it in a close one. Yeah, I'm going to go – this is a tough one for me. Actually, really tough. It's probably the toughest one on the on the slate. But I am going to lean turn, towards Florida, and here's why. The Kyle Trask offense is just so deadly, and Georgia's defense has been really, really good this season. But their offense has just not shown what I think they should be showing as a top-five team, and I think Florida's defense will step up to the plate. Like you said, I not a fan of – not a huge fan of how Dan Mullen is kind of – run ship this season, but um, I do think the Gators are going to get this big one over Georgia and kind of continue to climb back into that college football playoff race. Let's get a quick one here. A&M traveling to Columbia to play South Carolina. Dave, I'll let you pick this one. Well, Texas A&M is just obviously having a, a better season. They're four and one. Um, South Carolina struggled. And I mean, they've gotten beaten by, you know, some teams pretty, pretty handily. So I would say A&M should roll in this one. Yeah, I'll go A&M too. Uh, you know, sneaky uh, chance to win out the rest of the season and possibly position themselves for a playoff burst. So I'm going to go A&M. I'm going to go Texas A&M too. Isaiah Spiller, I think, is going to run all over that Gamecock defense. So I'm going to go A&M and probably a, a two-touchdown game. All right, now into the ACC, a big Friday night lights one. Miami, well, actually, two big Friday night lights games. That BYU-Boise State game was too. But Miami and NC State, that's the ESPN game Friday night. Lance, I'll let you pick this one first in Raleigh. Uh, if Devin Leary was still p- playing for State, I'd definitely pick State to uh, cover and maybe even win. But without him, Bailey Hockman starting, I, I just think Miami has too much talent and they'll just outscore State. So I'm going to go with Miami. And you're absolutely right. Miami has too much talent. They they do year in and year out. And generally right around the sixth or the seventh game every year, they lay an egg. They get all full of themselves and dance on the sidelines with their turnover chain, and somebody beats them, and usually it's a team with lesser talent. So all of the stats say Miami should win this handily, which is why I'll take NC State. <laughs> I agree with you there. I I know Miami always loses that game. My gut feeling is, like with what you said, Lance, with Bailey Hawkman as their quarterback compared to Devin Leary, it's just not there. So I think it's going to be close, but I think Miami's going to pull this one out in a late one on Friday night. All right, we got the battle for the victory bell. 
North Carolina traveling to Duke. Dave, I'll let you pick this one first. Well, Duke's having a rough season. I mean, they started the season with four losses in a row. They beat Syracuse, then they lost to NC State, you know, and they finally had a, a nice win, but it was over Charlotte out of Conference USA. You know, you compare that to the high-powered offense North Carolina has, and while they have lost two of their last three, Carolina's still got too much firepower, and I believe they'll beat Duke handily. Yeah, I'm going to go with Carolina, too. They seem to be a bit of a mess, but uh, Duke just not, doesn't have the talent to keep up with Carolina, so I'm going to go with Carolina. Yeah, this is a big bounce-back game for North Carolina. I think they're going to do it in a big way. I think they're going to beat Duke by three touchdowns and show that they they still should be at the at the top of the ship of the ACC, especially with uh, how the last two weeks have gone for the Tar or the, how the last two or three weeks have gone for the Tar Heels. So I'm going to go Carolina in a big – in a by a big deficit in this one. All right, college game day traveling to South Bend, Clemson, Notre Dame. This is a night game on NBC. This is a huge one for college football playoff implications. Trevor Lawrence is not playing. It will be an amazing game. Dave, I'll let you pick this one first. I mean, they're both undefeated, and you could pick either one of them. I think that uh, there are the experts that are saying because Trevor is not playing um, that Notre Dame should be favored. But I saw the uh, the backup quarterback play last week, and while I can't pronounce his name and never will be able to, uh, <laughs> he looked pretty sharp. He threw a few balls on the rope. Uh, there were some turnovers and some simple execution things that got them down big, but they still scored 25 straight points and came back and, and won that game under duress. So I don't know that that's that big a drop-off. Um the thing with Notre Dame is is I never know when they're overrated because they always are. So, um, you know, I, I can't tell how strong they are. This will be a, a very, very good test. But I think Clemson actually wins probably on the last possession of the game. Yeah, I'm going to go Clemson too. I think they might even win by double digits. So just the talent gap is still uh, so far between the two. I mean, we saw it in the playoff a few years ago when they played. I think the talent gap has, if anything, gotten bigger in Clemson's favor since then. If it was DJ's first start this week, then I would maybe consider picking Notre Dame. But with a start under him last week against Boston College, he faced some adversity. So I think he'll be ready to go this weekend. So I'm going to go Clemson. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. If I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm even more nervous that the Boston College-Clemson game was close. I mean, Dabo Sweeney's going to have the guys ready to play. Like you said, he's going to have a game under his belt. I don't know how to pronounce his name either. So we're going to say DJ. Um, he has a game under his belt. The Tigers are going to be coming into South Bend. They always play their best in big games. I think Notre Dame is a tad overrated. So I'm going to go Clemson. I'm going to say by two touchdowns, regardless, without Trevor Lawrence. All right, last one. We got our game. We got to pick our game, of course. So 20 – hold up, hold up. I want you to take this in for a minute. 25th-ranked Liberty traveling, traveling to Lane Stadium to face unranked Virginia Tech. Lance, I'll let you pick this one first. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Virginia Tech, and I'm going to go Virginia Tech big. I don't think the spread is complete is right at all. It's like 14 right now. I think it should be at least 21. Uh, Liberty's beat what they're undefeated this year, and their combined record of the teams they've beat is what like five and 40 or something. Basically, yeah, they have not like beat that. anybody good. Uh, as Don V said. If we give up anything more than 14 to them, then I consider it a loss. So I'm going to go Virginia Tech big. I think this is a get-right game for them and then prepare for Miami next week. First of all, I want to thank the sports writers around the state that ranked Liberty 25th because I think that's a wake-up call to Virginia Tech of, hey, 
who are these guys? Uh, Virginia Tech has a problem historically uh, overlooking and playing down to its competition, and uh, they would have been right probably for an upset if uh, they hadn't been ranked 25th because I think the coaches will be in everybody's ear all week long of these are good people. Um, the talent gap, is, as you just said, Lance, should favor Virginia Tech. The nightmare that keeps going through my head, though, is if you watch them beat Syracuse, uh, they had they had a running back that seemed to just take off on basic plays and had 70 yards down the field for a touchdown. It reminded me a lot of the lapses that Tech had against Louisville where that 90-yard run went down the sideline there on the last play of the first half. They are capable of of hitting long plays if there is a miscommunication or a missed assignment on defense. To me, that's the danger. Um, I think from an execution standpoint, if Virginia Tech plays this game and remembers that it has a, a, a tremendous running back in its backfield in Khalil Herbert, uh, I think they can win this by several touchdowns. But it's that unknown of, you know, all you got to do is miss one assignment and there's a 75-yard big strike play down the field. That's what concerns me the most. So I think Tech's going to win, but I think it's only going to be by a touchdown. I'm going to go Virginia Tech, too. I think Liberty will keep it close early on. But personally, I think Virginia Tech is going to pull away at the end. I think you did – you that was great analysis there for you to say that with Liberty ranked, I think it's going to get Virginia Tech's attention a little bit more, and I couldn't agree more with you that I, I think Virginia Tech's going to be ready to play. Um, it may be close early on, like I said, but I think Virginia Tech will pull away and, and get a, a, a maybe a 14-17 point win against the Liberty Flames and uh, put an end to their, their undefeated season. So I'm going to go with the Hokies in this one. But that's it for our picks of the week. We look forward to seeing how we're doing. Uh, big thanks to Dallas District. You can follow him on Twitter at Dallas District. Um, Dave Scarangella for hopping on with us to pick some games. Dave, thanks for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. You guys have a great week. You too. And a big thanks to Dave Scarangella for coming on and helping to pick some games this upcoming week. Should be a fun week in college football. The Pac-12 is back, and then we talked about it. When you're listening to this podcast, you the week has already passed, but Maction's returning Wednesday night, so if you're listening to it now, you'll be able to catch some action next Tuesday and Wednesday night for some Wednesday night college football or midweek college football. Um, but yeah, great episode today. Uh, you got your weekend slate ready yeah, to go? of course. Uh, Friday night, Miami-NC State should be a big one in the ACC. I mean, Miami could be in a bit of a look-ahead spot. They play tight next week, so you know, maybe sleepwalk through Carter-Finley a little bit. And then uh, Saturday we got noon, obviously Tech and Liberty. Uh, for those that aren't Tech fans, USC, Arizona State, big noon Saturday should be pretty interesting. Like I was, we were talking about the 9 a.m. kick. 3.30, Florida, Georgia, world's largest cocktail party. I don't know if it will be the largest one this year, but, you know, they should have a pretty decent time. And then 7.30, Clemson, Notre Dame on NBC, like you are talking about, the primetime NBC game. And then uh, 10.30, we got Pac-12 after dark back with um, – Washington at Cal and Washington State, Oregon State. So that'll be good. And then I almost forgot 945 on Friday night on Fox Sports 1 is Boise State hosting BYU. So that should be a heck of a game too. So a lot of good football this weekend. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. It's it's going to be a fun week. And now with the Pac-12 and the Mountain West and all that back, it, it's we finally have a full week of college football back, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, yeah, staying up late till 2 a.m., watching Pac-12 after dark and – games like San Jose State and San Diego State finish up. Those are always fun. And we've got the Mac in the middle of the week now. And it's just a full week of college football. It's 
it feels good to finally have that all back. While it may look different, it's certainly um, excellent to have that back in our everyday lives for um, college football fans all over the country. So it should be a great weekend of college football. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Goblin Up Podcast presented by Duncan Mazda and Blacksburg. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Enjoy your college football Saturday. It should be a really, really fun one. Had a great episode for you today. We, you know, we talked about remembering Chuck Hartman with Andrew Wells, preview Liberty, Liberty with Damian Sordalik, and then obviously gave our picks of the week. So keep, make sure to keep track of our standings going forward. Once again, thanks for li- listening to the Goblin Up podcast presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gobble em Up podcast, a podcast a part of the Fifth Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. A special continuous thanks goes out to our graphic designer, Molly McPherson, our announcer and current voice of the Tulane Green Wave and former voice of Virginia Tech women's basketball and baseball, Andrew Allegretta, and of course, our main editor and producer, Paul Duncan. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.